Well, good morning, Renaissance. My name is Michael Hadi. I'm so glad uh, to be here with you this morning, and, and it's just really a privilege uh, to be kind of at a place that my wife Grace and I uh, have for many years. It's been like home to us. Uh, Rich Teeters, as he said earlier, he's, he's been our pastor through many seasons of life, and uh, we were on staff at this church uh, 10 years ago when it was just getting started, when it was over in the middle school before the opera house, and as, as, as we moved in here, and it was just such a different thing, and it's so amazing to see the journey uh, that this place has been on and, 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 the, and the people that have come through these doors, and really what God has done in, in so many great ways through this place. Uh, Rich and I did agree that we would not tell stories about each other because there's a lot of stories to be told. But I will tell you this, I think he's actually getting younger. I think he's actually going, it's like that Benjamin Button thing, I think he's going uh, the opposite direction and, and he's getting younger all the time. Rich is, uh, I don't know what he is, but he's going on like 27. And, uh, but he's a dear, dear friend and he's been a great uh, mentor and, and pastor uh, to us. My wife, Grace, is eight months and change pregnant. She was here last night. She came up three flights of stairs and managed to not have the baby. So that was a miracle. She's not here this morning, but uh, we're expecting our first, and we're, we're so excited about that. And, and the other new thing in our lives is we've just launched this new church called Newbridge over in Basking Ridge. And I've just got to tell you, I am so blessed and excited to be able to team with Renaissance as we bring God, as we bring hope to this area of, of, of New Jersey, because that's really where I feel like I belong, and I know it's where you all belong as well. And we're just so excited about that, to be able uh, to be on the same team together. And I've just learned so much from this church, and I've been so inspired by this church, and, and I'm so thankful to be able to use those things and take another step. So today, uh, we are all here, and we are all on a journey. We are all on a journey, and our lives are in motion, and sometimes we are aware of that. We see things happening, and sometimes we don't. And one of the challenges that we have each one of us, is that we come into parts of our lives where we face circumstances and we face difficult things and we face questions and things happen and situations come upon us and relationships break and jobs end and people get sick and people die and our families come apart and we're just stuck with all of these big issues that seem a million feet tall and we find ourselves in the valley. And we find ourselves in dark places in our lives and we begin to ask questions of God. And one of the biggest challenges that we all feel is when we begin to ask those questions. And sometimes we feel like God is not paying attention. We feel like he's not answering us. We feel like he's not even aware that we're in the middle of the situation that we're in. And so we ask questions like, God, where are you in the middle of this? And everything around us feels dark and we feel very, very alone. Because when our circumstances change, whether it's for good or whether it's for bad, it tremendously impacts how we see God and how we see our journey of faith. And some of you, you are brand new to this. You are just kicking the tires and checking it out. And I'm so glad you're here this morning. Some of you, you've been on the journey for many, many years, but we all find ourselves at a point where we begin to struggle with the question of doubt. We begin to struggle with the big questions of life, and we begin to look for God, and sometimes we feel like He doesn't come through in the way that we would expect. Earlier this week, uh, I flew out to Ohio for a family function, and it was an evening flight out of Newark Liberty International Airport. And as you know, in New Jersey in the summer, uh, during the days, it's very humid, and the sun was out, and it was one of those hot, humid days. 
And, and so uh, someone brought me to the airport, and I rushed there because I was a little bit late. But as we were getting to the airport, I could see these clouds beginning to form on the horizon. And many nights on those humid days, that's what happens, a series of thunderstorms come through. And so I rushed into the airport, and I checked my bag, and I got to the gate, and I discovered that the plane was broken. How many of you have done that? You've, you've rushed, you've dashed to the airport, you've tried to get through security, you've hoped that the people in front of you actually know to take their laptops out of their bags and, and run those through the belt. I was with people who evidently have never seen an airplane before, uh, so it, that was a little bit of a struggle, but I finally got to the gate, and I got there and discovered that the plane, there was some issue with it, and so we were delayed, and we sat in, in the terminal for a little bit of time, and they finally figured out what was wrong with the plane. And this is a flight to Columbus, Ohio, which is not a massive destination that lots of people from this area really want to go. And so it was a little plane. And you know, sometimes you look out the windows and you see the jetway and down at the end of the jetway, there's this little tiny plane. And that's exactly what it was for us. It had propellers. Like someone actually asked, how old is this plane? They asked one of the the flight attendants that. And so we get on this little tiny plane and there's propellers, but the sky is starting to get dark. And as we're sitting there uh, at the gate, the wind is starting to blow, and because it's a little tiny plane, you can feel the, wi- the wings start to buffet a little bit, and it gets darker and darker, and rain starts to fall, and it starts to hit the window, and this crazy pilot decides to take off anyway. Little tiny plane, massive storm, lightning bolts, rain, everything else. We taxi out to the runway, and we begin to take off. And I've flown quite a bit, and, and many of you have as well, but there's that question you always ask yourself, am I actually going to make it through this? Am I going to make it to the other end of this? Am, am, am I right with God? Are all my relationships good? Have I updated my will? Is my wife and my family going to be taken care of? You ask those questions, and that's what I was asking. And so this pilot takes off into this storm, and the wind is blowing, and the rain is coming down, and lightning is striking, and it's just buffeting the plane, and we can no longer see the ground. You know that moment when you take off into a storm, and you go into the clouds, and suddenly you can't see anything around you. All you see is clouds below you, clouds in front of you, clouds to the side and clouds above. And the rain is coming down and the wind is blowing and the lightning is flashing. And you can't see the destination. You have no idea where you're going because you can't see ahead. And you're trusting that this pilot, that these people who are operating this aircraft actually know more than you do and that they're going to be able to get you there. And obviously, because I'm standing here this morning, everything worked out. I made it there and I made it back. But we've all found ourselves in those kind of situations sometimes when we travel and when we fly. And if we're honest, sometimes that's how our lives feel. That's how our lives feel when it comes to faith. That's how our lives feel when it comes to God. We make the decision. You make that decision. You say, God, I have so many questions. There's so many things about life that I don't understand that I don't have the answer to. There's so many things that have happened, but in spite of all that, I'm going to make the decision to begin to embark on this journey of faith and to trust you, even if it's just a little bit. And so we get on the plane, but then life hits us. Then circumstances hit us. Then things we never anticipated hit us. And we're left just like that little plane being buffeted in the clouds. The lightning is striking. The wind is blowing. It's dark and the rain is coming down. And we can't even see where we came from. And we certainly can't see where it is we're going. And in those moments, just like I did and just like you would, we begin to question 
we begin to doubt. We begin to wonder if we're on the right thing. We begin to wonder if we're going to make it there. And that's really what I want to talk about for just a few minutes this morning is this issue of doubt. What do we do with doubt when it comes into our lives? What do we do with the big questions that we have when we're faced with circumstances and struggles that seem so much bigger than we are? And so this morning, we're going to look at at a little passage in the New Testament part of the Bible. That's the second half of the Bible and one of the Gospels. And there's four Gospels, and they're really just an account of the life and the work of Jesus. And we're going to specifically look at a character named John the Baptist. And if you've been around the Bible for any length of time, John the Baptist is kind of this unruly, sketchy, wild-eyed, wild-haired character who lives out in the desert, and he's known as a prophet. But more importantly than that, he was the cousin of a very famous guy who most of us have heard of, and his name was Jesus. So John the Baptist was Jesus' cousin, and John comes on the scene early, and he's recognized by these ancient people, by these Jewish people who lived at the time and who the story is about as a prophet. And these people had not had a prophet in their land in 400 years. God had literally been silent for 400 years. To give you an idea of how long that is, that's longer than this nation has been around. And so there's this ancient group of people who believed in this ancient God, and they believed that he spoke, and they believed that he interacted and intervened on their behalf, and they hadn't heard anything from God in 400 years. And suddenly this guy, John, this crazy, unruly prophet guy named John the Baptist comes on the scene and and he starts declaring this message, which was a completely subversive, countercultural message because at that time, the Jewish people that he was speaking to were occupied by the superpower of the day, the Roman Empire. And the Romans would come in and they would basically just take over an area and everyone would have to pay taxes and they'd be oppressed and there'd be torture and there'd be executions. And so life under the Romans was not an easy thing. And so this Jewish group of people who are occupied are looking for hope anywhere they can find it. And in the ancient writings of their religion, in the ancient writings, we find many of these things in our Old Testament, the first half of the Bible, there is all this talk of this guy named the Messiah, this one who was to come, the one who would come and set everything right. He would lift oppression, he would change the world, and he would bring hope. And John the Baptist, this prophet, the first one in 400 years, comes on the scene and he begins talking about that guy. He begins talking about the Messiah and he says, there is one who's going to come after me, who's going to do all these things that you've heard about, that you've told your children about, that stories have been passed down from generation to generation about, and he is going to set everything right. And so John is proclaiming the story, and as you might imagine, a story, a message about a guy who is going to come and overturn the injustice that these people felt as long as, as much as it, they perceived it. Uh, a, a guy who would bring that kind of message was a tremendous threat because the Romans did not take kindly to anyone who would come and challenge their power. 
And they had put a local guy, a local king in charge whose name was Herod. And Herod wasn't a Jew. And he was king over this area simply to keep order, simply to keep things under control and to keep the peace. And he did something which was very, very scandalous at that time. He went and he actually took his brother's wife and married her. And so there's this adulterous, scandalous relationship that would have been all over the tabloids of the day. And John the Baptist does what you might expect a sketchy, unruly guy to do. And he was the kind of guy where if you saw him walking down the streets of Summit, you'd go to the other side, you'd put your hand on your wallet, you'd make sure your kids were close. This guy comes and he says, that relationship, that's wrong. That's an abomination. That's an affront. You're going the wrong direction. And Herod does what everyone would expect someone in power who's being challenged like that to do. He throws John in prison. And so John has stuck his neck way out. He's stuck his neck way out for this guy named Jesus. He's stuck his neck way out for this message, for this hope. And he ends up exactly where you might expect him to end up. He ends up in prison. And Jesus comes on the scene. And Jesus is teaching. And he's healing people. And he's performing miracles. And there are crowds that are following him around. And meanwhile, John the Baptist, the one who came before, the one who took the risk, the one who made the step, is languishing in a prison. And it's not like our prisons. It's a prison that's dark and lonely and oppressive. And he's sitting there by himself. And he calls his followers to him. And he asks them to take a question to Jesus. To take a question to the one that he literally gave his life to proclaim. He literally gave his life to talk about. And that's where we pick up the story in Matthew, the first gospel, chapter 11 and verse 1. And it reads like this. After Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. When John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? And this sounds an awful lot like a question, but it's not, because John had spent his life talking about this guy. He knew who he claimed to be. He knew exactly who Jesus said that he was. And it's more of a question that's something like this. Are you really the one? Because I'm sitting here in a jail by myself and I gave my life for you and I took this step in your direction and it feels like you've passed me by. Jesus, I could just use a little bit of help here. I could just use a little bit of help to figure out and to see why where I am right now and what I'm struggling with right now makes any kind of sense. And if we're honest with ourselves, if you're honest with yourself and I'm honest with myself, we have felt that exact same feeling at some point in our lives. We've taken a step of faith, whether it's a little one or a big one. We've walked in God's direction, and something has come into our lives, and it's caused us to ask these big questions about it. You, you've, you've gone into a relationship. You went in a marriage, and you remember that day you stood at the altar with that other person, but it seems like so much time and so much distance and so many words have transpired since then, and it seems so far away, and you are staring at a divorce. You will never forget the day that you had that doctor's appointment. You can measure your life in the days before 
and you can measure your life in the days after and you're faced with an illness that has caused you to have all sorts of dark moments and all sorts of questions and all sorts of struggle. You built your business and you worked hard and you tried to do right and you gave it your all and things have just blown up in your face and you're faced with the pieces of this thing and trying to figure out how you're going to take the next step and it feels like failure. Some of you in this room, you've lost a loved one and you've lost them way too soon. And you've lost them in a way that has caused you to ask so many questions about God, whether he even sees it and whether he even cares. And you're faced with the darkness and the struggle of those things. And you're asking yourself, God, where are you in the middle of this? And we look around our world and we see struggles and we see tragedy and we see oppression. We say, where is God in the middle of this? And what happens in that moment is we begin to struggle, and many of us begin to doubt. Jesus goes on, and he answers this question, are you really the guy? He answers this question in a curious way, in a most unlikely way. And in verse 4, Jesus replies this. He says, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. And what he's really saying, and this for us is not a completely satisfying answer because we always want to know the answer to why. But what he's saying is he's saying, look up and look around. And he's saying it to John's followers and his followers. And he's saying it to John. And he's saying, if you look around you, you will see that I am still at work. I'm still at work, maybe in ways that you don't see, maybe in ways that you don't appreciate or understand, but I am still at work. Look out of your prison cell. Look out of the world that is closed in on you. Look beyond the walls of your struggle. And you can see that there are things going on. There are people who are being changed. There are things that are happening that are still good, that are still proving that I am at work in the world. And maybe this morning you are facing something that just seems like it's, it's a thousand feet tall. But I want you to know that if you put your hand on your chest, your heart is still beating this morning. And that is a gift of life that as you woke up this morning, God gave you for this day. And the sun rose, and you breathe in, and you breathe out, and you don't even have to think about it because that is a gift that has been placed in your life. And there are many people who struggle at times for those things. But there is hope, even sometimes when it is so hard for us to see. So Jesus doesn't laugh him off, and he doesn't really answer the question, but he sits there in this tension in the middle and says, you're in struggle. You're in the middle of it. It may not make sense, but that does not mean that I'm not at work, and that doesn't mean that I've left you. And then Jesus finishes this little discourse in verse 6 with another statement, and it says this, blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. Blessed is anyone who doesn't fall down. Blessed is anyone who doesn't give up. Blessed is anyone who doesn't fall out on account of me. And what he's saying there is there will be times, there will be places, there will be circumstances, there will be things that happen that will make you want to give up. There are things that will make you want to throw in the towel 
on faith. There are things that will make you even want to throw in the towel on life. And Jesus is saying, you're blessed and anyone is blessed, not just the super religious people, not the super spiritual people, not the pastors, not the people who have all the answers to all the questions, but all of us. Blessed is anyone who, when they come into a circumstance in life that really makes them begin to doubt, they keep going. They keep going. They take the next step. They refuse to give up. They refuse to lose hope. They make the decision to keep going. And we learn something else here. We learn that this struggle, this situation isn't because of a deficiency in John. This isn't because of something he's done or something he's not or something that he should do. Because Jesus says in verse 11, he says, Truly, I tell you, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. So Jesus says, John is absolutely the guy. But even that kind of guy goes through these kinds of struggles. Sometimes we draw the conclusion that our personal struggles reflect how God feels about us. Sometimes we draw the conclusion that because we're facing a broken relationship or a broken marriage or an illness or financial loss or or just some circumstance that we never anticipated, that that's how God feels about us. And what Jesus is saying is you will go through those times, but that does not change how God feels about you. He's for you and he's with you. And in those moments, in those moments, we have an opportunity and we have a choice. In those moments, we have a decision that we have to make. In those decisions, we can go in one of two directions. Because doubt isn't just a feeling. Doubt requires you to do something. Doubt is very much like a why in the road. It can lead us towards cynicism or it can lead us towards an even greater faith. Here in New Jersey, we have many country roads. And as you know, you drive around, you come to this point where the road splits and you can't stop because it's New Jersey. And if you stop, someone will come up behind you and lay on their horn. When I first moved to New Jersey 14 years ago, I was lost for like six months, and I'm convinced that there are people still driving around who have who've been here for many years who are just lost. They, they, they've never found where they're going, and they're still driving around. I was one of those people. But when you come to a Y in the road, you have a decision to make. You can't sit at the Y forever. You have to go in one direction or the other direction, and doubt is absolutely normal. Doubt is a normal feeling. It's a normal experience. It's something that we all experience. But in the moment of doubt, we have a decision that we get to make. Doubt forces us to make a choice. And we can go towards hope. We can go towards faith and say, I don't feel it right now. I don't even see it right now. Just like me on that plane, I couldn't see where it was going. But I had the decision to make that I could choose to know, to embrace hope that it was going to make it to the destination. Here's a modern-day quote from someone you would completely not expect. And it goes like this. There is such terrible darkness within me, as if everything was dead. It has been like this more or less from the time I started the work. In my heart, there is no faith, no love, no trust. There is so much pain, the pain of longing, the pain of not being wanted, I want God with all the powers of my soul, and yet there's between us, there's terrible separation. I don't pray any longer. I want to speak, yet nothing comes. I find no words to express the depths of the darkness, yet in spite of it all, 
I am his little one. And he's speaking of God. I love him. And this was written by none other than one of our heroes of the faith, Mother Teresa, who went through some very, very dark times. But we learned something from this. And someone was talking to me just before the service about how this just doesn't seem very joyful and it doesn't seem very hopeful. And that's true. But I want you to know that hope is not a feeling. Joy is not a feeling. Joy is not something that's going to wash over you. Hope is not something that you're going to catch when you wake up in the morning. Hope is a decision that you make. Hope is a decision that you begin to make. And we see what Mother Teresa did at the end of that. She said, I don't feel the love. I can't even see the ground. The storm is all around me, but I am going to make a decision to turn in the direction of hope, to turn away from cynicism, to turn away from unbelief, and to turn in the direction of faith. And so all of us, if we're honest, and if you haven't yet, you will, it's only a matter of time. We find ourselves somewhere in this story this morning. You know, maybe you're on the plane. Maybe you're like me on that flight where you took off and you took this first step of faith or this next step of faith and you went in God's direction and you've taken off into the storm. The clouds are dark. The rain is falling. The lightning is flashing and the wind is blowing and you can't see the ground and you can't see the destination and you are secretly beginning to wonder if you can make it. And just like me on that plane, there's part of you that wants to get off. There's part of you that wants to do anything you can to go away from this struggle, to get away from this pain, to go in another direction. And I want to challenge you this morning. I want to encourage you this morning to dedicate yourself to the struggle. Dedicate yourself to the struggle. Put both feet into the struggle. You don't see the destination yet. You don't see how it's going to end. And I'll be honest, it might not even end the way that you want it to. But you can dedicate yourself to the struggle and you can begin to choose hope. One of the greatest things you could do is to get some perspective. Just like Jesus says in those two verses, he says, look around you and see that even though you feel like you're in a prison, even though the walls are closing in, even though it seems like it's hopeless, that if you look around you, you see the beauty, you see the truth, you see the hope, you see the light, you see me at work in the world, and that should reframe and it should balance your perspective. Dedicate yourself to the struggle. Some of you this morning, you have really, really big questions about God. You have questions that seem like they're 10,000 feet tall because you've run into something uh, that your faith and your understanding has just not prepared you to deal with. And you're struggling with these things and you are so tempted to give up. And what I want to encourage you to do this morning is I want to encourage you to bring your doubts out into the light. Bring your doubts out into the open. Bring them out of the closet. Bring them out of the dark place and bring them out into the light. One of the things I love so much about this church and I've loved about the mission of Renaissance Church since the very beginning is this is a very safe place that you can come to explore and to experience authentic faith with your friends and neighbors in the real world. And so you can bring your big questions here and it's safe. There's some churches where doubts and questions are a threat. That is not the case here at Renaissance. You can bring those things out into the light. And one of two things happens when you do that. When you bring it out and you share it with someone, and you share it with some people who you trust, who you respect, you find that you're not the only one. You find that you're not the only one who is struggling with those things. 
You know, a few years ago, my wife and I, my wife Grace and I, we're so excited about where our lives are now and we're so thankful to God. But we were staring at the possibility that our relationship was just not going to make it. And we didn't plan for that. We didn't want that. We didn't anticipate that. But we found ourselves staring at the precipice of divorce. And we'd both brought issues in because we came from broken homes. And those things had really kind of borne fruit in our our relationship. And there was no trust. And there was such a good chance that we were just going to end up apart. And one of the things I did that made all the difference in the world was I began to share that with some people. And I discovered that I wasn't alone. I discovered I wasn't the only marriage that struggled, that most people, if not all people, struggle and have such big questions. And what happened in that moment was the second thing that happens when we bring our doubts into the light is that it began to lose some of its power. When you're the only one who knows about your question, when you're the only one who knows about your struggle, it seems so big and it seems so strong and it seems so powerful and it just seems like it's going to overwhelm you. But when it comes out in the light, it's a secret to begin. It comes out and it comes out in the public and it begins to lose some of its hold on you. It begins to lose some of its power. It's no longer only you. It's out in the open, and it begins to lose some of its grip. So I would just challenge you, if you have a big question, bring it out into the light. Find one of the pastors here at Renaissance or a trusted friend and just say, I'm really struggling with this. I really don't know where to turn. I don't know what to do next. Bring it out, and you will be amazed at how it begins to lose some of its hold on you. And finally, there's a group of you this morning that's been sitting at the intersection. You've been sitting at the why. You have all sorts of doubts. You have all sorts of questions. Maybe you haven't come to faith yet and you're just exploring it. Maybe you've been in faith and you've just encountered things that have made you question God and wonder if he's even there. I want to encourage you this morning to make a decision. I want to encourage you to decide to turn towards hope. Decide to turn towards hope. Decide to go in that direction of the road that turns you away from cynicism and towards hope. And it's a decision you make because, as I said, hope is not a feeling. It's not something that will happen to you. It's not something you will catch that you'll stumble on. It's a decision that you will make, and it will give you the strength to take the next step, and it'll be a small step. But then you can take the next step, and you'll discover that God is actually walking through that place with you, and you will have the courage to walk into a different future. Decide to turn towards hope. So this morning, that's my prayer for you. That's my hope for you. That's the thing that I want more than anything else for you because many of us find ourselves somewhere on this journey today. That you would dedicate yourself to the struggle. That you bring your doubts out into the life and light. And when you come to that why in the road, that you would decide to turn towards hope. Because even when you're in the storm, even when you're in the struggle, even when you are in the dark places of life, even when the lightning is flashing and the rain is coming down and the wind is blowing, you are not alone. You are not alone. Because God walks beside you. And he may not answer your questions in the way that you want or in the time that you want, but he walks with you and he gives you the strength and he gives you the power to take the next step and to keep going to the destination, even in the dark. Let's pray together. God, I know that uh, for some of us this morning, this is a difficult thing for us to hear. We have so many questions. We have experienced things that uh, are so big. They're so challenging. They're such struggles that this is difficult 
forced to hear. And I'm not a good enough communicator, and I'm not smart enough to have all the answers, but I pray that in these moments that you would speak to each and every person here in a way that makes sense to them for where they are that they would know that they've heard from you, that they would know that you are with them even when they don't even know where to turn next and they don't know what to do next. And then, God, that you would give each person here the courage. You'd give them the hope. You'd give them the ability to take the next step, even if it's a small step, and to keep going. And you would turn all of our hearts, all of our lives, all of our minds towards hope today because it's a decision we make. And you go with us, even in the dark. And I pray all these things in Jesus' name. The God of our questions, I pray in his name. Amen. Hey, thanks so much for being here today. We hope you have a great week and we'll see you soon.